Well, we had a good Christmas. We were down in North Carolina and got to spend a few days with all of our family together. We're a very giving family, so uh, we all gave each other uh, either the flu or a cold. We just kind of went through the family. So out of 10 of us, seven of us got one or the other. So I got a little bit of a cold, but I'm very thankful, Sally and I are thankful we could, we could be here today. And I'm sure that many of you had some great times with your family. And if you're family and you're still here, maybe you're from out of town, we're really glad that you are worshiping with us here um, this morning. I want to preach on a time for every purpose. Um, the, the coming of a new year kind of hits me with, with a double uh, smack, if, it, if you might say. My birthday's the day after Christmas, and then that always has me pausing to reflect on time, and then a few days later comes the new year, and so time is on my mind a lot this time of um, year. Now, I don't think much or make resolutions much anymore. In my mind, they come in one year and out the other, so what's the point? But um, I've read this passage, and some of you might think, that sounds familiar. Wasn't that a song by the birds back in the 60s? Did God write a rock song? No, no. God didn't write a rock song. The birds took what God had written in Holy Scripture and applied it to music, which tells me that even a uh, group of young men who are well, not thinking probably about God at the time, um, wrote a song about time because time seems to be on everyone's mind. Time always seems to be flying by. I mean, Christmas has come and another Christmas has gone. A week ago. A week ago, we were here celebrating Christmas in the Lord's house. And as you go through life, you know, when you're young, you tend to wish time would hurry up. I can't wait to get my license. I, I can't wait to, um, you know, graduate. I can't wait to get married and, you know, all of those things. Um, time just seems to go by so fast. Our middle grandson from our daughter is 14, and in North Carolina, you can start uh, taking driving lessons, so he was out driving the other day, which gives me heart palpitations and uh, <laughs> can't hardly believe it. Seems there's either not enough time or there's too much time that we waste. And never does it seem to be just the right amount of time. But we need to begin to live in the moment. I think as I get older, I believe that, and that's one of my goals more and more. We often work our whole lives and we try and slow down time, whether that's in the form of appearances, opportunities, or relationships. I think the best thing we can do for ourselves is to let that idea go and accept that the progression of time is inevitable. And the progression of time actually makes life interesting. There are those moments when we wish we could just hold time, you know, uh, everyone who's a parent who's had a, had a child, a newborn baby, um, you probably all expressed, I know we did when our kids were born, even when our grandkids were born, we could just keep them, you know, in that, in that moment of time. Um, you know, for me, the great thing about the holidays is having all of our family together because it doesn't happen that often. 
and you just kind of wish you could bottle that and, you know, keep that, keep that together. But we know that life doesn't work that way. The passage of time brings new possibilities. It brings new understanding. It brings fresh starts. This retirement and looking ahead for Sally and I, I keep saying this is a new adventure, and it really is. It's a new adventure for our lives. You know, if it feels like time isn't on your side, or if you've been working to embrace the fleeting nature of it, God's Word gives us a proper perspective on the passage of time. And who better to tell us that? Certainly the Lord Jesus, but humanly speaking, than the writer of Ecclesiastes, who is Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. We know that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. God offered Solomon choices as to what God would bless him with, and what Solomon asked God for was an understanding heart. And so God granted that request to Solomon, and he became the wisest man who ever lived. He did have 300 wives and 700 concubines. I've never figured that part out, but anyways... Solomon penned many of the Proverbs. We know that's true. As he started Ecclesiastes back in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he wrote, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, that's Solomon. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Solomon's premise for the whole book of Ecclesiastes is that life under the sun has no meaning. Now, when Solomon says life under the sun, S-U-N, he's talking about life apart from God. He's talking about people who live their lives, God is not in their thoughts, or at best an afterthought, or they give God a casual glance but they don't really consider God or what he has to say in his word. Their life is lived just in the material, just in what they can see, taste, think, feel, and they have no time for God. They have no time to think of eternity. And sadly, most people in our world live that way. I would say most people in America live that way that they live their lives under the sun. Solomon says, if you live that way, it's vanity. This is the Hebrew word habel. It means empty. It means what is transitory, what has very little meaning. Oh, there are joys under the sun. There are delights under the sun. But as far as lasting, you know, soul-satisfying, um, has very little meaning. The word habel also means breath or vapor. So Solomon, with all of his wisdom, is trying to, he's trying to figure out the riddle of life lived apart from God, trying to unravel the riddle of life from purely human understanding. And if you do that, you will inevitably come to the conclusion Solomon came to. Despair, desperation. Because life without God doesn't make any sense at all. 
Good people die young, wicked people live long. Good people suffer, wicked people are blessed. And sometimes good people are blessed or live long. But if you look at the enigmas of life, the inequalities of life, and you take God out of the equation, you just end up despairing and very depressed. Part of the frustration of life apart from God is man's lack of control over the passage of time. I mean, who can control time? I mean, sci-fi always talks about, you know, going back in time and speeding up time, getting control of time. Our generation, Jim Croce sang, if I could put time in a bottle. Well, you can't put time in a bottle. And so when you live life apart from God and time just continues to flow, it can be very, very frustrating. One minute you're in your teens, the next minute you're in your 20s, then you're in middle age, and then you're... Well, that's too depressing. I can't say I don't... <laughs> I don't want to go there. Psalm 89, 47, remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? And so poets and songwriters have wrestled with this very issue, philosophers, down through time. Alistair Begg says, our lives are an open book to the God who wrote this book. And I like that. Simon and Garfunkel was another group from the 60s. I get very nostalgic at the, you know, beginning of a new year. They wrote a song called Flowers Never Bend with the Rainfall in 1965. Through the corridors of sleep, past the shadows dark and deep, my mind dances and leaps in confusion. I don't know what is real. I can't touch what I feel, and I hide behind the shield of my illusion. The mirror on my wall casts an image dark and small, but I'm not sure at all it's my reflection. I'm blinded by the light of God and truth and right, and I wander in the night without direction. So I'll continue to continue to pretend my life will never end and flowers never bend with a rainfall. That's a good synopsis of life lived apart from God. What's it all about? What's, what's it mean? Doesn't ultimately mean anything, I guess. But Solomon reveals to us something far more true. Solomon reveals that life is not just a series of random events. It's not just a series of random events. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Notice he didn't say under the sun. He said under heaven. When you bring God into the equation and you look at things under God's direction and providential care, then we can say there is a season, time for every purpose. The word season here means an appointed occasion. The word purpose is usually translated as delight or desire. The English Standard Version translates it as every matter. The New American Standard Bible, every activity. One of the professors at Liberty, Ron Hawkins, did his, I I don't know if he did his doctorate on Ecclesiastes, but I just remember he did a lot of work on the book of Ecclesiastes. And Dr. Hawkins says, man does not control the world or time, God does. 
God steers us into the future with his hand, and he is absolutely in control of all events. What a different viewpoint for those of us who are Christians. We stand here on the edge of a new year. And as Pastor Brian said, some things are going to be joyful and some things are going to be mournful or challenging or downright hurtful. But yet we know that God providentially is steering us. He is steering us into the future with his hand. It's not just a matter of fate. It's not just a matter of chance. When we live our life and we've committed our life to Christ and to the Lordship of Christ, everything has purpose. Now, Solomon points out what we instinctively know, and if we live a few years, we'll figure it out ourselves. There is an observable pattern to life. So this is what we have read here in these verses. Verses 2 through 8, what Solomon does is he presents 28 statements they're in 14 pairs, seven negative, seven positive. So Solomon sort of encapsulates life in these general statements. Some things in life are positive, some things are negative. And he sort of does this to help us understand that there's a, there's a pattern to, light, to life. It's not just chance. It's not fate. He presents them in a completely different way. Everyone makes the journey from the womb to the, to the tomb. I'm going to, I should have done this earlier, but I'm going to take uh, verse 6, and I'm going to put it on a plaque in our house for my wife while we're getting ready to move. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Oh, okay, I'm s <laughs> sorry, that just came into my mind, and nothing to do with the message, but... Everybody makes the journey from the womb to the tomb. The late comedian George Carlin said, I'm always relieved when someone delivers a eulogy and I realize I'm listening to it. Well, that ended for George Carlin on June 22, 2008. He was 71. It's estimated that when Carlin died, he was worth $10 million at the time of his death. Very sadly, Carlin said... Religion has convinced people there's an invisible man living in the sky. He loves you, and he needs your money. That was his view of God. His body was cremated. His ashes were scattered in front of various nightclubs that he played in in New York City and over a lake in New Hampshire. Sad ending to anybody's life. And if that's your view of God, then you're living your life under the sun and you have no hope. Hebrews 9, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. We have a savior. We have a deliverer. We have someone who conquered death on our behalf. And when you understand you're a sinner and you confess Christ as your Lord and savior, and you determine to live your life for him to be one of the followers of Jesus, our life takes on incredible meaning. But sadly, life is vain toil when lived apart from God. Vain toil. Verse 9, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? 
I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. John MacArthur writes, earthly pursuits are good in their proper place and time, but unprofitable when pursued as the chief goal. So in other words, if, if my life is just, you know, to make money, if my life is just to get ahead, if my life is to make a name for myself, you know, if my life is to have fame, fortune, and, and that's it, you know, and, and maybe it's even, even family, but if I don't know Christ, and if I'm not leading my family to love and adore the Lord Jesus, one of the great joys of, of our family is that um, all my, our, our children are saved, our grandchildren are saved, even down to little Elijah. Um, and I know many of us, you can, you can say that, and sadly, I'm sure there's some that you can't. I also have loved ones in my family who, who, who do not know the Lord, and, and it's a heartache. But if we are living our lives for Christ and we are leading our families to follow him, what a great joy to know that our lives and then their lives will be invested with purpose and it won't just be vain toil. Solomon sees man's inability to control the events and enigmas of life even as a gift from God. Even as a gift from God. This travail of soul should cause men to seek God. You see, men who sense their own helplessness are more open to see things under heaven than just under the sun. But sadly, many do not turn their attention under heaven. Man in his pride, man in his, I'm a self-made man, or I'm a self-made woman, or I don't need God, or they've fallen prey or fallen under the spell of some godless humanistic philosophy, that man is the measure of all things, and this life is all there is, so just get all you can, and that's all that matters. doesn't matter who you step on to get wherever you want to go. That's a terrible way to live your life. Because the time's going to come when your health will fail or your money will fail or both will fail together. And then what do you have? But I love verse 11 because verse 11 teaches us that God has invested our lives with purpose, with purpose. It's one of the things as we share the gospel with people, God God has a purpose for your life. The chief end of man is to, is to love God and, in, and serve God and worship God and enjoy him forever. And when you make that the focus of your life, to serve Christ, God invests your life with tremendous purpose. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Now, that phrase kind of harkens back to the original creation. Genesis 1.10, the, the earth was without form and void. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God created this incredible universe. And Genesis 1.10 says, and God saw that it was good. Of course, we know what happened. He created Adam and Eve, and then there 
came the fall. And then not only were Adam and Eve cursed, but the creation was cursed. But even now in a cursed universe, we know that God can create beauty. I think it's one of the great things that God loves to do. He loves to take sinful, broken people, even as Christians. He loves to take some, sometimes our messes, and he loves to bring glory and beauty out of that. Life is not a series of random, empty, meaningless experiences. It is precisely ordained and precisely aligned by God. So Paul would say in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. The time of our lives as believers is leading us to a glorious eternity, a glorious eternity. We can live our life with purpose. We can live our life with joy. We know in this life, because God is very honest with us in the Word of God, and we even see that honesty in these series of uh, of, of events that the times here, that uh, the times of our lives that Solomon writes for us. There will be joy, but there will be sadness. There will be happy times. There will be mournful times. There will be times to build up and times to tear down. It's just part of life. The Bible's very realistic. But we can live our lives with purpose and knowing that no matter what happens, all things really do work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then we have a glorious future to look forward to. Whenever I do a funeral, I love 2 Corinthians 5, 4, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. What a great statement. When a believer dies, because we're all mortal, but when a believer dies, mortality is swallowed up by life. What a great description. Death brings us into the presence of Jesus who is the light of life. Each year of life is made up of moments of time. Each day contains 1,440 minutes. And we can't carry any of those over until tomorrow. We have to live each day on that day's deposits of time. And for all of us, there will be a day when we will not even have all of the 1,440 minutes of that day. We exist in time. We experience all of our lives in time. We wish we could take certain moments of our lives and hold them in time. But we can only see a fraction of the great sweep of time. We can, we can review history, but as far as our lives and where it fits into God's great plan, I'm hoping and I think probably, at least hopefully, God will show us where we fit into his grand scheme. And we do know that time's going to move on with us or without us. So we wonder if the passage of time is a tyranny or is there actually something more to it at all? And what Solomon shows us here and what the Bible continually reveals to us is that there is great purpose God has placed within time. We will have a personal ending of our time, each one of us. There will be a prophesied ending of time that will come one day. But God created time and has placed within time certain seasons of time. And within that time, we each have our own personal season of time. Though we do not know the exact number of our days, 
we do know that our days are numbered, as Ken read in Psalm 90. By the way, that's a psalm written by Moses. Can you imagine Moses who saw all those people dying as they're making their way, that whole generation dying, and he writes this psalm about man's mortality. And so we know that our days are numbered. We need to learn to live in the moment. My mom used to always tell me, Darren, don't wish away your life. You know, I'd be like, I can't wait till I get 16. I can't wait till I can drive. I can't wait till I can buy my first car. Mom would say, don't wish away your life. And that was pretty good counsel. Time is our most precious non-renewable resource. But when we live each day in the light of eternity, the future becomes our friend. We don't have to fear the ending of our time. And even though we're mortal and we're earthbound and even death for a Christian, even though we know the Lord and we know what, what's happening, absent from the body, present with the Lord, I mean, it gives us pause. I mean, let, let, let's be honest. But if we could, we could flip the page and look from where our loved ones are now to look back where we are, it would give us such a different perspective on time. So Solomon says in verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice to do good in their lives, also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. He's not saying eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying God has invested purpose in time. God makes everything beautiful in its time. So enjoy the times of your lives. Enjoy the times with your family. Enjoy the times with your friends. Enjoy the times with your church family. Enjoy life. God has placed a lot of enjoyments within life. It is his gift. So my counsel on the edge of a new year is enjoy the good times and rejoice all the time. And as Paul would say, redeeming the time, buying back the time, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. C.S. Lewis said, Our Heavenly Father has provided many delightful ends for us along our journey, but he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for home. <laughs> That's pretty good. Don't mistake any of them for home. If you think the joys, and there are many wonderful joys in this life God has blessed us with, can you imagine what he has in store for us in a new heaven, a new earth, a new glorified body. We can't, we can't even fathom it. We can't even imagine it. And so time, yes, seems to be fleeting. But at the same time, it's taking us closer to our heavenly home and to be with our Savior and all of our loved ones who've gone on before.